So how long would you wait for God? One hour? One day? One year? Forever? This week, we are returning back to the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of the series, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And due to Lent and the Easter season, we haven't been in this stuff, in this passage, in this series for about two months now. Uh, But we're coming back for round two. We're coming back for the second chapter or so of the journey of the book of Genesis to see where things go next. Now, I realize that our sermon memories aren't that long. Like, we studied Abraham? (laughs) When was that? Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a few months ago. So I realize that there may need to be some refreshing in this. Uh, But here's the benefit. Here's the benefit of, of stretching out the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob story over the course. We're going to kind of weave through this through the course of the year with some other smaller series tucked in between. But here's the benefit of stretching that out over a year. The prolonged version of the Abraham story, it helps give us a better appreciation for the long, drawn-out nature of the journey of faith. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, that's how the journey of faith gets played out. So we often think, as contemporary Americans, we think in terms of seconds and minutes, right? Sound bites, sprints, TikToks, and viral videos. And yet, in time, you come to discover that all along, God is actually working in years and decades over long hauls and marathons. To borrow a phrase from Eugene Peterson, the long obedience in the same direction. So yes, God does work in the small, like there's times that God just boom, and it changes, and miracles, and instantaneous healings, and dramatic encounters, and someone's heading this way, and there's a pivot, and, and a change, and it's drastic, and it's dramatic, and that happens, and we praise God for the ways that that does happen. But often those things are wrapped in a bigger story that is longer, and often harder, and a bit more complex than just the simple soundbite. How long would you wait for God? So in the long Abraham story, we rediscover this story of waiting, the story of walking. This is what it means to have faith. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Walking and waiting over a course of time in the everyday stuff of life. I know that's not very sexy. It doesn't sell, but man, it rings true. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 17. It'll also be here on the screen. Here's the story, Genesis 17 verse one. We're just gonna dive right in, and then in the diving in, hopefully we'll reset some of our memories around where we have been already in the Abraham story. Genesis 17.1 says, when Abram was 99 years old, I'm just going to stop us right there. (laughs) Go to the next slide. When Abram 
was 99 years old. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let's just let that sink in. Abraham is 99. 99. 90 stinking nine years old. And that's remarkable for a lot of reasons. We're like, man, like everyone in the room can collectively point to Abraham. Like, dude, that dude's old. Like, that's not going to offend anyone's age here. No one I know is older than 99. Well, yeah, that's old. That dude is old. And we can talk about how old he is, and it has questions about how do people live that long and the Genesis accounts of things, and we can unleash all of our biological musings about Abram and his age. And aside from all of that, this story picks up. Abram is 99 years old, which tells us that some time has gone on by. So by way of review, there's, there's a few points in the Abram story where the author gives us his age. I just want to review a little bit here. Go to the next slide. When you look at the Genesis age markers of Abram, so this Abram story begins back in Genesis eleven twenty seven. We discover Abram. We see his family line. We discover that he is from the line of Shem. His father's name is Terah. He's from the land of Ur in the Chaldeans. We find that Abram marries this woman. She is beautiful. Her name is Sarai. But also from the very beginning, Genesis 11, we find out that Abram and Sarai, in their marriage, discover that she's barren. She is unable to have children. So Abram marries this woman. She is barren. So kind of the beginning of the Abram story, his birth to his, from his father's line to marriage, Genesis 11. Then in Genesis 12, we find out that God calls him to leave his family. In Genesis 12, 4, we find that he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So they first left with his father, and they left Ur of the Chaldeans, and they went down to Haran, and they settled there. And it was there in Haran that they, they departed further and God gave him a word of promise. How old's Abram then? 75. 75 years old. That's remarkable. I'm 45, I'll be 46 this summer, and I'm surrounded by a lot of my friends who are having midlife crises. And then I read the Abram story, and I realize that God's just getting going with him at 75. Our timelines are funky, aren't they? So it's there that God gives Abram the first words of promise. He's many decades into his marriage. He's many decades into barrenness. Sarai, many decades of barrenness. And God says, here's my promise to you, Abram. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. And through your family line, all the families of the ground, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, which is quite an audacious promise to give to a couple who's barren. It's this word of promise. Go, leave your family. Trust me, I'll show you where you're going. And Abram does. 75 years old. God has chosen his barren family to be the vehicle of blessing for all nations. 
That's important to remember in the Abram story. He, he is chosen and selected to be blessed, but the blessing isn't just so that he takes the blessing, but the idea is that blessing is to be received so that through them and their family line, all families get to taste the blessing of God. So then the next time stamp, Genesis 16, 16. Abram is 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ten more years go by. Ten more angsty, antsy years go by of barrenness and promise. And he's left his family and they've gone into this new land. And there's other things that have happened and we talked about that in the story, right? There's the, the time when they leave because there's a famine in the land and they go down to Egypt. There's the whole pretend you're my sister debacle. And they go back to the land and then as Megan preached probably about a month ago or so now, the story of Hagar. That they finally get, Abram and Sarai get so impatient trying to figure out how God's going to fulfill his word and fulfill his promise that Sarai says, just take my maidservant Hagar. And so Abraham sleeps with her and she gets pregnant and she has a son and his name is Ishmael. And Abram is thinking that maybe now this is the way. Like, I know God gave me this promise, but I'm trying to figure this thing out, take things into my own hands, be self-protective and figure out a way to make this thing happen. Because 10 more years has gone by. How long do I wait for God? Well, in his case, it was 10 more years. So now this is where chapter 17 opens. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, so 13 more years have passed, an old man has become even older. And again, this story, it just as it begins to reopen again, it makes me ask a bunch of questions. Like, what is the substance of my faith? How long is too long for me to wait on the promises of God? And the timeline we so often operate on is a timeline that is shorter, <laughs> narrower, and impatient. Have you ever seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Like not the recent creepy one that was done, but like the the 1971 old school original version. And I read the story of Abraham, the story of Abram, and I have the, the voice of Veruca Salt etched in my mind. Veruca Saul, Daddy, and she's a spoiled brat of a figure. And she's like, Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa now. And she, she goes on and names everything else that she wants, and she wants it now. And I hear the Abram story, and I'm like, I, I hear the British accent. I want an Oompa Loompa air now. And I hear my voice in this story. I want it now. How long do you wait for God? I don't like that Abram has to wait till he's 99 years old and beyond. I don't like that for him, and I don't like that for me. I don't like the implications of this story for myself. 
So what does God do? What does God say? What does God offer to the husband and wife? 99 years old, 90 years old, barren, waiting for the promise. What does he offer them? Let's read the story. Because this is a funky story. It's an awkward story. I'll tell you why. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That's a phrase. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. <laughs> and Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. It seems as though the promise has expanded, not just that you'll be the father of a nation, but you'll be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God said to Abram, to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What? He shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come after her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now I'm going to resist my urge to go full-on Bible nerd with you. I'm just going to go part-time Bible nerd with you this morning, but I want to point something out. Sometimes when we read through the scriptures and we read the text, we miss some of the clues that are inherent in the text, even literarily or structurally in the way that the story is told, especially in the Hebrew Old Testament, especially in poetry. There's parallelisms and ways in the way that the thing is formatted that gives you clues in the text, but also in other places. So today I want to tell you about a chiasm. 
You're like, oh great, is this like English class back from high school, chiasm. So a chiasm is a literary device. Again, I'm not gonna nerd, I don't wanna lose you. Stay with me, it's worth it. It's a literary device that is used where you have this kind of pattern, a repeating pattern, A, B, C, and then you walk back out with repetition as well. And this actually, the story of, of uh, Genesis chapter 17 is a chiasm. I didn't realize that at first, but I noticed as I was reading through it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of repetition here. And the first thing that caught my eye in the story was, is Abraham falls on his face twice. If he caught that as we read the story, when the story opens and God meets him and says, I'm El Shaddai, and calls out to him, Abraham responds by falling on his face. And then the whole story goes along and he gives the details of the things. And at the very end, Abraham falls on his face laughing at what God says. And he falls on his face again. I'm like, huh, what's happening here? And then I begin to realize, here, if we can put it up on the screen. Here's a very simplified version of the chiasm of the story is that Abram falls down and then he talks to him about him becoming a father of a multitude of nations, changes his name, then there's all the circumcision stuff, welcome to Reality Church, it's circumcision, cism, circumcision Sunday. <laughs> Verse 10, and then there's this name change for Sarah, Sarai, and then this promise of the multitude of nations and kings coming from her in verse 16, and then he falls down in laughter. So there's a progression to the story where there's a falling down, a a reiteration of the covenant promises, and change of name, details about circumcision, name change, back to Sarai, and then falling down in laughter. There's a chiasm to the story that points out, and you're like, great, who cares, big deal, Who, who who needs chiasms or circumcision or whatever else? you got going on. But I think it breaks down some of the details in this story and it helps people who are waiting. These people have been waiting years, now decades. It's been 13 years since the last date given, age given, on top of a prior 10 years, on top of decades of barrenness. And God shows up again to Abram. God initiates to Abram. And he says, this is who I am. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the Almighty One. I am God Almighty. And Abram rightly goes, (laughs) falls down with this encounter with God. What does God say to him? He says, walk before me. Walk with me. Walk with me and be blameless. It's a good word to those who are waiting. Walk with me. In your waiting, walk with me and be blameless. So I don't want you to walk with me um, like they do in the world. That's a different way of walking. I want you to be blameless. I want you to walk with me my way. I don't want you to walk with me like you did in Egypt. I I don't want you to walk with me like you did with Hagar. No, I want you to walk with me my way and be blameless. And then he offers him a handful of things that would be helpful for him in his season of waiting. First thing, God rehearses things with Abram. It's verse four. He does it again. He does it with Abram in verse four. He does it with Sarai in verse 16 at the top of the chiasm. He says, behold, my covenant is with you. Don't you know we're a forgetful people? 
One of the first things to go as time goes on in our waiting, one of the first things to go is our memory. And so God shows up. And he says, don't forget who I am. I am the Almighty One. Walk with me. But I want you to remember, I haven't forgotten. Do you remember my words to you? Let me rehearse the promises that I've given to you. So he rehearses that. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And again, I think the promise is growing here and getting even more specific as to how it will play out in time. And we see between God and Abram, God giving him more and more as time goes on. In the waiting and the walking, God begins to reveal more and more to his partner. You're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. You're going to be exceedingly fruitful. There's some Genesis 1 and 2 Adam and Eve stuff happening here. Be fruitful and multiply. It's like we have a new Adam and a new Eve. Because the first Adam and the first Eve messed the thing up. And now we have a new Adam and a new Eve in Abram and Sarai. And they mess it up too. But we need this repetition. And God gives that to them. And promises are repeated and rehearsed. And there's details given there's rehearsal of the covenant promises. That's good. Sometimes that's helpful. Also, God renames them both. Again, the chiasm continues to move in. He's like, I want you to remember what I've said. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember what I've said. And I want you to remember who you are. It's identity. This stuff is key. Who are you? Again, in time, in seasons of waiting, we forget what God has said, we forget who he is, and then we begin to forget who we are too. And he renames them. So Abram becomes Abraham. The exalted father, Abram, becomes the father of a multitude, Abraham. And and Sarai to Sarah, the princess, becomes a queen. Naming is so important. God renames them. It's so easy to let old names, faulty names, override the thing that God is doing, even through the season of waiting. So God shows up and he reminds them who he is and he reminds them about what he's up to with them and he renames them both. Walk with me in the waiting. But then you get to the center of the chiasm. So it's almost like an arrow here. It's pointing to just the really important thing that God wants to give them to help them through the season of waiting. Circumcision. They're like, oh, my word. What is that? Are you kidding me? It's educated, sophisticated, modern Americans living in 2023 with AI and chat GPT and the technological, like, this is what you got for me, Paul? Circumcision. The cutting off of the foreskin of the male genitalia. There's good news today. (laughs) Welcome to Reality Church. I'll be honest with you, I've never really spent a ton of time looking into circumcision. I've spent most of my time like, trying to avoid thinking about circumcision and like, why is all that in there? And then, okay, new covenant, like, let's put away, you don't need, don't need to be circumcised. There's a, a conversation around the circumcision of the heart. I feel much more confident and comfortable talking about the circumcision of the heart. So let's just leave the Old Testament and um, just tip of the cap, uh, Tim Mackey, the Bible Project. 
really helpful in this conversation around circumcision. So I want to point out a few things to you today. We'll talk about chiasm and circumcision, and hopefully this will be helpful by the time we're done. Up to this point in the covenant relationship between God and Abram, God has been the one to do all the action. I don't know if you remember that back uh, it's again, a few months ago, but I, I put up a picture. I should have probably repeated the picture. That of the bloody, the bloody trail. God makes covenant with with Abram and tells him to go out and and kill a certain number of animals and they split open the animals and they they do an ancient covenant ceremony and blood is spilled and they walk through. Actually, as the covenant ceremony goes down, God puts Abram in a deep sleep. He doesn't even do anything in the process and it's God himself who walks through the middle of the bloody trail. And it's God saying, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, may this be done to me. And usually the lesser in the agreement would be the one forced to walk the, between the animals in covenant ceremony, but that's not how it happened with Abram. In fact, it was God himself who says, I'm taking this upon myself. I will keep my word. May it be done to me if I do not keep my promises to you, Abram. You sleep. Watch me. But as this continues to go on, a few chapters into this, now God is reaffirming his covenant with Abram. Verse 9 God rehearses, and then he renames him. And now he's asking Abraham to do something in the covenant partnership. I think we've got the next slide, some of the passage, yeah. And and he goes into all this detail about circumcision, that every male needs to be circumcised, starting when they're eight days old, so when they're very young. It's an everlasting covenant in the flesh. And you get all these details too, like this circumcision is not just for his biological line, but it's for anyone who would be willing as a part of his family. So even those that were slaves or foreigners bought into the system of his family, they too could take the circumcision upon themselves. It wasn't just for his family line. But this act of blood, this act of cutting off the male foreskin God tells Abram is a covenant symbol. This is a covenant sign. You still with me? (laughs) So this is not the first covenant symbol that God has given people in the book of Genesis. Can you think of another covenant symbol that came even before Abram? Yeah, the rainbow. So you back the story up a little bit more into Genesis, and you've got God judging the world which has gone off the rails in sin and evil, and he sends a flood and wipes everything out, and then at the end of that, well, I'll just put this up here in Genesis 9, 11. This is what God says at the end of the Noah story. He says, I will establish my covenant with you. Same language that he uses with Abram a few chapters later. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, but never again shall all flesh be cut off. There's that cut off language Circumcision, cutting off. Now there's a cutting off through the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, the rainbow, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow bow is seen in the clouds, 
I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, God has this thing where what he does, these covenant symbols are symbols of judgment and mercy, both. Because as was happening in the flood, there was judgment that happened because of their evilness and their sin. And there's mercy that he'll never do it again. And he's holding himself to this. Whenever you see the rainbow in the sky, you remember that the judgment of God is real and true, but also that God is merciful in the midst of his judgment. It's a covenant sign, a covenant symbol. So now we come into the Abram story, and he says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, just like I did with Noah. I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm gonna give you a covenant symbol. It's circumcision. It's a sign of judgment and mercy. And I always would think, like, man, this circumcision thing is really just random. Like, did God just pick a body part? Let's pick there, and we'll do some cutting and trimming, and hopefully you'll remember that. Like, why did he pick that? Again, it's a little embarrassing. It's a little awkward. What's the story right before chapter 17? It's the story of Hagar. You see, the covenant symbol is a symbol of judgment, and it's a symbol of mercy, but it ain't random. It sounds like my earlobe. No, no, it's not. Let's pick that one. It has everything to do with the story that precedes it. You see, God had given Abram a promise that he was going to have an heir and he was going to have a family. And what organ, to be frank, was Abram going to use to accomplish the promise that God had given him? That one. And he had used that part of his body in self-protection and sin to fulfill the promises of God and make things happen his way. Circumcision is not random. Circumcision is a covenant symbol where God says, I'm I'm gonna take the place on your body that was responsible for your act of sin and disobedience, and I want you to remember, and all of your family forever, of my judgment on your sin. And I want you to take in your body and mark it as a symbol of hope that through that very place, that very body organ that you used to carry out your sin, I'm going to actually use that place and that body part and you to accomplish my promises to fulfill. There's, there's hope and mercy in that very place. It's a symbol of judgment but it's a symbol of rich mercy that God is still going to be faithful to his promise even in the midst of his great sin. So God could have just cut it off, but he didn't. He wanted him to understand the severity of the judgment while also tasting the promise of future mercy, not just for his family, but for anyone who would trust God like that too. Like, I know no one woke up this morning. I just need a good circumcision sermon this morning. But if you can hear what God is saying through an ancient covenant ceremony, here's what's at the center of Genesis 17. Here's what's at the center of the chiasm. 
and put this on the screen. <laughs> At the center of the chiasm is our great liability and God's great reliability. Everything, like God chooses to partner with Abram and he screws it up every step along the way. Like you can't read the Abram story and be like, I mean, other than maybe Genesis 12 when he finally he obeys the initial invitation. But other than that, he's doing everything. He is a liability to what God wants to do. And it's just highlighted over and over again. His failure, his liability, his sin, his taking things in his own hands, his lack of trust, his anxiety, all of it is just making a mess. The the covenant ceremony of circumcision reminds us of Abram's, Abraham's great liability, and it reminds me of my great liability. And it reminds me of the rich, deep, pursuing love of God. He's faithful. We have sung about his faithfulness this morning. He is faithful. He is faithful. Where we are liable, he is reliable. Where we have failed, he is forgiven. In our walking, in our waiting, we must be reminded again of our great liability and God's great reliability. Day after day, year after year, we get impatient. We keep messing things up in our hurry and unbelief. And God's plan is that through this man and through this woman, one family would be a vehicle of blessing to the nations. And God fulfills his promises. And even in the story then, this great chiasm with circumcision at the middle, God says, yeah, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to rename you. And he's like, Sarah, she's blessed. It's not just through some other woman. It's through her. It's through the barren one that I will bring, bring the promises. She is blessed Kings will come from her and nations will come from her. What's verse 18? (laughs) Like on the heel of the great chiasm, Abraham says to God, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No, yes, but no. Like I understand why. It's his son. He has a heart for Ishmael. He wants to see him flourish. But God says, I'm going to give you a son through your wife, through Sarah, through her. Nations will come. Kings will come. Blessing will come. Promise will come. What about Ishmael? This is so me. Well, what about my plan of this one? And I'm not going to read it for you here, but if you read the rest of chapter 17, God is extremely kind to Ishmael. And he promises blessing to him. Yes, she says there'll be t- 12 princes that come from him too. Just like 12 come from the other line as well. There's extreme grace and there's blessing. There's not a scarcity mindset with God on this one. And he blesses Ishmael. He says, but that's not what I'm doing here. I will fulfill my promise to you through you. Abraham's a liability. 
God is reliable. Abraham fails. God remains faithful. My friends, it's grace. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't teach about grace. It teaches about grace. And this, um, this liability-reliability partnership has spanned for centuries to those who have been called to walk and wait with God. It's a, a liability-reliability partnership that leads all, us, all the way to the cross, all the way to Jesus, all the way to the cross where we, we receive the ultimate sign of the covenant, covenant symbol of judgment and mercy. The bloody cross that makes the bloody circumcision pale in comparison. Where Jesus took upon himself the marks on his own body that we would have our hearts circumcised too. It is interesting that God talks about the circumcision of the heart not just of the male genitalia, because it's a place where there's sin, where judgment and mercy meet through the finished work of Jesus for us. (laughs) So, if you want to know what Reality Church is about, we are not a collection of morally superior specimens. <laughs> we are a bunch of messed up people, broken, sinful, beautiful, image bearers, twisted, self-centered, deserving of the judgment, the same judgment that fell in the flood, the same judgment that falls on the circumcision the same judgment that falls on Jesus. But that doesn't get the last word. Because God uses that very place of sin and brokenness to be the vehicle through which comes redemption. But you may have to wait. So as you wait, may those words ring. Walk with me. My way. Walk with me. May may that carry us in our waiting. I know there's a few of you waiting here on a variety of things that touch on things like career and houses and kids and marriage. broken relationships, conflict. May we trust in the God who says, walk with me. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for a story marked with circumcision that points us to Jesus I would thank you for the fact that in our great liability, you are so true, so faithful.
And this, in the Easter season, Jesus, we are mindful of your life and your death and your resurrection. The fulfillment of promises over centuries. Lord, teach us not to waste our waiting. Help us walk with you. May we remember your faithfulness in the stories of old that maybe breathe new hope in what you're doing in us today. Thank you that through even something like circumcision, we can see what you're up to in us. Dead to sin, alive to you. God, I pray that every rainbow we see would remind us of your covenant promises. I pray that every circumcision story would remind us. I pray for every baptism and every time at the table of communion that we would remember how your mercy meets judgment with great hope, with great hope for us in the places of our greatest sin that your grace would abound in those very places, in our weaknesses, in our failures, may your grace be multiplied. And may we tell a story to others of just how great you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.